Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. Growing up in Florida, it was a common occurrence. I can't imagine going very long through the year or the week without experiencing it. When I lived in Texas, it was the same thing, perhaps even a little more dramatic. And then I moved to California. And in California, it's rare. Matter of fact, there were times when I wondered if it ever happened again. I'm talking, of course, about a thunderstorm. I used to say that people in California were a little deprived because they didn't have the experience of frequent thunderstorms. I was talking to somebody this week who was born and reared in the San Fernando Valley, and he said, we usually have one a year. I was a little surprised at that. I didn't think they were that often. But since the first of the year, we've had four. Have you experienced a thunderstorm lately? Now, let me ask you a question. When you hear a thunderstorm and see the lightning, what goes through your mind? What do you think about? Matter of fact, I have a friend, a pastor friend who lives in Florida. And um, I was talking to him this week, uh, knowing I was going to talk about thunderstorms. And I said to him, uh, you know, I grew up there and I knew, but I just wanted to hear what the current was. And so I said to him, what, what's the reaction of people in Florida when they think of a thunderstorm? And he said, fear and flight. I was a little interested in that uh, because thunderstorms usually have lightning and lightning can strike people and so they flee to some place of safety. What do you think about? Uh, you know, do you... What's that old thing? You count the time between the clap of thunder and the lightning. Do you know about that? Am I right? You count the seconds and that determines, I don't know the formula, but that determines how close it is to you. You ever done that? Well, let me ask you another question. Have you ever thought about anything spiritual when you heard or watched a thunderstorm accompanied with lightning and thunder? Well, the psalmist did. It's a fascinating passage of Scripture, but there is a case where David watched a thunderstorm and drew some interesting conclusions from it. So I want us to see what he said so that perhaps the next time you hear a thunderstorm, which being deprived by living in California may take a while, you'll think of this. Turn with me to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. David says, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Siron like the young wild ox, the voice of the Lord divides the fire. The voice of the Lord strikes the wilderness. The Lord strikes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. The Lord sits enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits as king forever. 
The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Now you're going to look at me and say, I thought you said this was about a thunderstorm. Where did you get that out of all these verses? Well, verse 3 mentions thunder, but how can you say this whole thing is about a thunderstorm? Well, I will explain that as we go through the passage, but I would like to back up and start at the beginning. So let me just tell you that this was... uh, uh, a psalm, a song, if you will, that was sung at state events. If you were in England, it would be something like God Save the Queen, or in America, something like Hail to the Chief. That this is the psalm that was used at those state events. The other thing that's interesting about this passage is that the word Lord appears 18 times in 11 verses. And what appears over and over and over again is this little expression, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, which we will get to in a minute. But the first thing that happens in this passage is that the psalmist gives an invitation to praise the Lord. That's basically what's happening in the first two verses. So he says in verse 1, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord glory, do his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now as you can see, those, that's just in rapid fire uh, an invitation for somebody called the mighty ones in verse 1 to basically praise and worship the Lord. Three times in these two verses, he says, give to the Lord, give to the Lord. The question is, who's he addressing? And the answer is, mighty ones. Who are the mighty ones? Well, that's a little bit of a problem. And Bible teachers have come to the conclusion, because of the use of that expression elsewhere in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that it is probably a reference to angels. So he is saying to angels, give unto the Lord, you angels, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord glory, do his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. All of that is addressed to the angels in the heavenly court of God. Now, I have some things to say about that, and the first thing I'd like to do is talk about the word worship for a second. The word worship today, in my opinion, is often misused. I think we have reduced worship to something that happens on Sunday morning between 11 and 12 o'clock. We've even reduced it further to something that happens during that hour, called singing. So a lot of people today think of worship as singing. Now granted, you can worship the Lord by singing, but that's not the meaning of the word. It's certainly not to be restricted to one hour a week or even half that. Rather, the word worship literally means to bow down. And it's used in the Old Testament of both bowing before God and bowing before somebody else. Now, why would you bow down to somebody? And the answer is that you are honoring them in some way when you bow to them. So the basic idea of worship is to bow before the Lord, to honor Him. Matter of fact, if there's any one word that captures this, in my opinion, it's the word honor. And if you understand the way this is used, Uh, throughout the scripture, the idea is we're to honor him with our life. You can honor him a whole bunch of different ways, by singing, certainly. You can honor him by talking to him. You can honor him by praising him. You can honor him by talking about him. So in these opening verses, the psalmist is saying to all the heavenly host, it's your job to honor the Lord. 
Give glory to him. Praise him. So it's an invitation of all things to angels to worship the Lord. Now there's another interesting little observation about these opening verses. Some scholars, a number of scholars as a matter of fact, say that in the ancient world there was a pagan god, small g, that some of the pagans worshipped named Baal. It was a Canaanite god. And they thought of him as uh, being responsible for storms. So what David is doing, in a sense, is saying, no, it's the god in heaven above Baal that is in charge of the storms, as we will see in just a minute. And it's the angels who worship him, not people on this, just people on this earth who are worshiping the pagan god Baal or other gods in their system. It is the Lord God of heaven. As a matter of fact, I said a minute ago, the word Lord appears here 18 times. That's the personal name of God. In your English translation, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's sometimes pronounced Jehovah. And scholars have decided it should be pronounced Yahweh, whatever. It's the personal name of God. So David is saying, the Lord is the one that should be worshipped by angels. And that is perhaps uh, a little backhanded slap at the pagan god of Baal. So, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Bow down before him. His glory proclaim with gold of obedience and incense of lowliness. Kneel and adore him. The Lord is his name. Now, this is in light of the fact that he is the God that controls the thunder. So before I get to that, let me ask you a question. Did you ever complain about the rain? Uh, I think that's probably hard for us to answer because we've gone through so many years of drought and we need the rain. So you probably thank God for the rain. But if you lived in Florida or Texas or anywhere in the Midwest, other places, you get tired of it. I mean, and, it, and more than once it's interfered with my plans for the day. And I have complained about the weather. And this psalm is saying, no, 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 no. When you see a thunderstorm, it's time to praise God. Now, for what we praise God is what the rest of the psalm is about. But just look at the first couple of verses. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory. Do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So you're honoring him for his strength, his power. You're giving him glory. Do his name. You're worshiping him because of the holiness of God. So I think we have a tendency to thank God for things he has done for us, which is perfectly appropriate. But sometimes maybe we just should praise God for who he is, not just what he has done. Oswald Sanders tells the story of the citizens in Rome who threw a celebration for Africanus as he returned from defeating Hannibal in 2002 BC. He describes the street lined with cheering thongs of people. Some of the people shouted their tributes to the military hero because they were grateful that he had stopped a possible invasion of their country. But there were others thinking not just about themselves, but about his courage and generosity and resourcefulness. And they praised him for what he was, not just what he did. Ah, that is what these verses are aiming at. 
or as one lady said to a dear friend as she was leaving, thank you for being what you are. We should thank the Lord for what he is. He's holy. He's holy. He's righteous. He's merciful. We need to praise him for those things as well as thank him for the things that he does for us. Now, in these opening verses, he says, give to the Lord glory and strength. And he seems to pick that up beginning in verse 3 and talk about an illustration of God's power. Look at verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Now, to really understand what's going on in this passage, you need to understand the little expression, the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. What does that mean? Just think about that for a minute. You're looking over a large body of water, probably in this case, given what is said to follow, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, Israel uh, borders on the Mediterranean Sea. Perhaps David was looking over the Mediterranean Sea, and he says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. What does that mean? Well, people who study this passage uh, all conclude that this is a reference to thunder. Matter of fact, there's a little thing that goes on in the Psalms called parallelism. That the second line is really saying the same thing as the first line. And they're parallel. If that's the case here, and I think it is, look at the verse again. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. So the voice of the Lord in this passage is thunder. David is watching a thunderstorm over the Mediterranean Sea. Now that shouldn't surprise us. The, the Bible repeatedly talks about the voice of the Lord and thunder all in the same breath. For example, Revelation 14.2 says, I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. So the voice of God and thunder are often connected in Scripture. Now, in this case, David is saying the Lord's voice is heard over the waters. I take it he hears seas and lightning and thunder over the Mediterranean. And he says in verse 4, the Lord, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is is full of majesty. In other words, when David saw a thunderstorm, he thought of the power of God. He thought, wow, how powerful is the Lord. That's the voice of the Lord, that clap of thunder. He says in verse uh, 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. Now, notice that in verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. Now he says in verse 5, the voice of the Lord, thunder, breaks the cedars. In other words, this is a thunderstorm. He sees it coming over the Mediterranean Sea, and in verse 5, it's made landfall. And it is so strong that it has split the cedars of Lebanon. Think of the strong trees like an oak tree in our case. And then the, the wind just breaks them in two. Matter of fact, last fall, uh, there was that kind of a wind that hit the coast of uh, Florida uh, between Pensacola, where I was born and reared, and Tallahassee. And I was invited to speak in Tallahassee. 
uh, you remember I was gone a Sunday and that's where I was. And the pastor uh, took me into the panhandle to show me some of the damage. And I was stunned. There was tree after tree after tree that was broken like a toothpick. Matter of fact, about halfway up it was just broken and half the tree was laying on the ground, still connected to the trunk. And it was tree after tree after tree. Those mighty winds came through there. They said it would take decades to clean up and repair all the damage that was done because of the power of that that came through them. He goes on to say in verse 6 that uh, he made them skip like calves. Uh, and he mentions again Lebanon and Siron, which is really probably a reference to Mount Hebron. Uh, like a wild, uh, young wild ox. Uh, so now he's saying the storm has hit the mountainside. It's being bombarded. Tall cedars are crashing under the lightning assault as the winds pass over the forest in sudden violent gust. The trees are bent, creating the impression that the uh, Lebanon range is skipping like cattle uh, along Mount Hermon and some of the other mountains. Then he adds to the thunder lightning. Look at verse 7. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. So now we've added lightning to the thunderstorm. He goes on to say in verse 8, The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Now we're familiar with Kadesh, which in the Holy Land is south. They came out of Egypt and went up to Kadesh, uh, and then didn't go into the land from the south, and the Lord made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. This is probably a Kadesh that's in the north, that the indications are that David is looking at this thunderstorm coming off of the Mediterranean, making landfall, and hitting some of the mountains, and that there was a Kadesh just north of Damascus, and that's probably the Kadesh that he's talking about here. At any rate, he's just following the thunderstorm as it moves inland. Then he says, the voice of the Lord, another reference to thunder in verse 9, makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare and his temple, everyone says, glory! Now, just imagine uh, trees and the wind is so great, it's blown all the leaves off. That's what I saw in the Florida Panhandle last fall, clearly, vividly uh, embedded in my brain. Then he says that animals, I mean, the, 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 the storm is so great that it makes the deer give birth. And the idea is it makes them give birth prematurely, as well as stripping the trees of their leaves. It causes the animals to give birth prematurely. As a matter of fact, I've been told that it is a scientific fact that weather disturbance have a direct influence on animals who are about to deliver their young. And some of you are shaking your heads. That's not something I know anything about directly, but apparently that is the case. All right, how are we doing? Can you imagine? Did you come this morning thinking I was going to talk about thunderstorms? <laughs> all right. Uh, so what's the point of all of this? Uh, when you see a thunderstorm, what are you supposed to think? Well, <laughs> he says there, when you see it, say glory. Matter of fact, it says that. Plain out. Just say glory. Look at verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and stripes the forest bare. And in his temple, that's the angels in heaven, say glory. Now what are you glorifying God for? Well, look at the passage. It talks about his power in verse 4. And it describes what his power does in verses 5 and on. That it causes all kinds of things to happen. It is so powerful. Now, 
uh, it goes on in this passage to say something else. I'm going to get a little ahead of myself for a second, but I want you to look at the last verse. The last verse says, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Now, uh, I'm going to come back to 10 and 11 in a minute, but I just want to point out that he has described basically the power of God. In a thunderstorm, he's comparing the power of God to a thunderstorm, saying it's the power of God. And then he ends by saying, and the Lord gives strength to his people. Did you ever hear look at a thunderstorm and think to yourself, wow, God's powerful and that means his power is available to me? How much power is in a thunderstorm? Do you have any idea? Well, I tried to figure that out this week and I gave up. Uh, the calculation is uh, technical and complicated. I almost called Dave and tried to get him to explain it to me. I thought he would know. Uh, and I, then I decided that it was so complicated that even if he explained it to me, it wouldn't be good pulpit material. <laughs> but this I did pick up. A number of authorities say there is more power in a thunderstorm, lightning and thunder, than there was in the atomic bomb that was dropped on Japan. I think about that. Look it up. I saw it in a number of places. Now it gave it to us in CAPE, C-A-P-E. They measured the power of energy and uh, they talked about the fact there could be more power than in a, uh, an atomic bomb. I was, my mind was blown. All right, whether that's true or not, is there enough power to knock down a tree? Yeah, absolutely. Now, are you aware that that kind of power is available to you? You say, what? All right, listen to a couple of verses that you know. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the source of the power is the Holy Spirit. Or how about Paul in Philippians says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Philippians 4.10. He'd known the Lord at this point probably 30 years. And he's saying that I may know him and the power, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Wow. Now, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to come back to Psalm uh, 29 in a minute, but I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Where Paul talks about the power of the Lord in relationship to us. The end of the chapter, he says, I want you to understand, that's verse 18, what is the exceeding greatness of his power, that's verse 19, toward us. Did you see that? I want you to understand, verse 18, his great power, his exceeding great power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Did you see that? God says, I want you to understand the power toward you that's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that the psalmist said is illustrated in a thunderstorm. Now, there's no chapter break here. So chapter 2 says, and you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
And he goes on to talk about the fact that you were dead. And he gets to verse 4 and says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even though we were dead, made us alive. So when you were born, you were spiritually dead, separated from God. And when you trusted Christ, you experienced, whether you felt it or not, or knew it or not, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That the resurrection power of Christ made you alive to God. Amen. That's what he's talking about. But oh, there is more. I want you to flip over to chapter 3. What you want to know is how do you get in on this, right? What you want to know is how do I experience the power of God? All right. Look at chapter 3. He says in verse 17 that, God, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now he's not talking about salvation. He's not saying that by faith Christ comes into your heart. He's saying that by faith Christ dwells in your heart. He makes uh, his heart your home. He settles down and is uncomfortable in your heart as he is in a home. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So what I want you to concentrate on is verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Verse 16 says, Be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. That's Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. Matter of fact, that reminds me of something. I hadn't planned to do this, but I've done several things this morning I hadn't planned on. Turn to, Luke, turn to John 14. Turn to John 14 for a second. John 14, and look at um, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. All right? If you keep his commandments, he's going to manifest himself to you. Now look at verse 23. And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me and keeps my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, I want to put all this together. If you trust Christ, you believe that he died on the cross to pay for your sin, arose from the dead, and simply trust him for the gift of eternal life, he comes into you. Then, if you obey him by trusting him, he settles down and dwells in your heart. And those are two different things. In order to get the first, it's by faith. In order to get the second, it's by obedience and dependence upon him. So get it straight or you'll really mess it up. You don't have to obey to get to heaven. What you have to do is trust Christ. But for him to manifest himself to you, to come and make his home with you so that he's comfortable in your life and giving you the power, then you must obey him by trusting him. And that's the formula for knowing the power of God. Now I think this gets abused. And people think of the power of God as something that's performed on a stage and it's theatrics. And that's not what we're talking about. There are all kinds of abuses of this concept. At the top of the list is you can be slain in the spirit, whatever that means. And people get knocked over and do all kinds of crazy things. There's none of that in the Bible. None of that in the Bible. You want to know how to experience the power of God? Then let me tell you how to do it. You do what he commands you to do. And what's the greatest commandment? 
love God and love your. And what is mentioned in both Romans, I'm, I keep having Romans on my mind, John 14 and Ephesians chapter 3, love. So if you want to experience the power of God, here's what you do. Go love somebody that's unlovable. You'll experience the power of God. And if you pull it off, you'll say, wow, that was one, oh, that was weird. <laughs> Never thought I could do that. That is what the Lord wants you to do. And he reminds us of it in every thunderstorm. Maybe our problem is we don't have enough thunderstorms in Southern California. We don't get reminded enough that there is power in the Lord. The power to keep His commandments. And Ephesians 3 says, He dwells in our hearts by faith. As we trust Him, we experience His power to keep His commandments. Got it? Look kind of weak. <laughs> All right, go back to Psalm 29. There's more. Uh, Psalm 29 is this invitation to praise the Lord. And then, starting in verse 3 and going down through verse 9, there's an illustration of the power of God in thunderstorms, thunder and lightning. Then, in verse 10 and 11, he makes the application. And he says, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits as king forever. So David, now look, now get, the, get the drift of the psalm. He, he looks over the Mediterranean, and here's the, the thunderstorm. It moves, it makes landfall, it goes, knocks down a bunch of trees. And David's conclusion is, wow, the Lord is king, and he sits, present tense. The storm is over now. We're going to look at the rainbow. Verses 10 and 11 are the rainbow. That after the storm and the lightning and the thunder, there is the calm after the storm. And when all of the storm is over, David says, wow. You know, the Lord's king, he's sitting on the throne just like he did at the flood. Now this is no doubt a reference to the flood in the book of Genesis. And another, perhaps, way to look at God's power. I mean, do you know what a flood can do? I mean, we've seen that in Southern California, and certainly they're experiencing it in the Midwest. As a matter of fact, um, the governor of the state of Iowa uh, talked about the damage that was done, and I mean this last week, because of flooding. And he said last Friday that the recent flooding of the state caused an estimated $1.6 billion. Billion, with a B. Imagine. Matter of fact, I read one thing that talked about the thousands of structures that were damaged. Then I read a report that says, that's just in Iowa. If you took the whole Midwest into consideration, there was at least $3 billion worth of damage done. $3 billion. Another illustration of the power of God. And so David concludes by saying, now you know, it's not just during the thunderstorm. He was sitting on the throne during the flood. And then he ends with verse 11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Peace. I like to think of this psalm as describing the lightning and thunder in verses 3 to 9 and the rainbow 
in verses 10 and 11. The power of God illustrated by the lightning and thunder in verses 3 to 9 and the calm and the peace in verses 10 and 11. So that after the storm, there is this peace, this calm. It has subsided, and we can now have peace. There is a story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus was asleep in a boat, and all of a sudden a storm arose. The disciples were terrified. They woke him up, and he simply calmed the storm. Remember that? And they said, wow, who is this that even the waves obey him? And the point is, God can send the storm, and God can send the peace. So Jesus stilled the storm, and he can do the same for us. He can give us peace. So when you see a thunderstorm, that's what you ought to think. Not fear and flight, not the distance between the lightning and the thunder to determine how far away it is. But the next time you experience a thunderstorm, follow the lead of the angels in glory and give God glory for his power and for his peace. So when you're watching a thunderstorm, you should be reminded of God's power and praise him for it and praise him for his peace as well. Now, I'm not quite done yet. I have a couple of other observations to make. Someone looking at this passage said, God's voice is heard in the storms of life as well as in the sunshine. He is working out his purposes. Nothing is beyond his control. Though For those who know and love him, he is working all things together for good. He sits on the throne, even in the midst of the flood. So, you have any storms in your life lately? We hit those uh, storms in life. What is it you want when there's a storm? You're looking for the rainbow. What is it when the, when the storm comes? What are you looking for? Peace. Peace. And how do you get it? Well, look at verse 10. The Lord sits as king forever. So no matter what you're going through, no matter the storm, you should be reminded that God has the power to give you peace. He's on the throne. He's controlling the storm, the flood, the lightning, the thunder, and whatever is going on in your life. So trust him for the power to make it through. And trust him to give you that peace, because that is what everybody wants. Matter of fact, uh, Gerald Ford, our ex-president, wrote a book called Time to Heal. And in that book, he tells the story of something that happened during a civil war in Greece in 1948. A villager that was planning to immigrate to the United States said before he left to the crowd that was weary and poverty-stricken, what should I send you when I get to America? Should I send you money, food, clothing? No, one of the neighbors said. You should send us a ton of tranquility. Now, I would submit to you that that's what we all really want, a ton of tranquility. So just remember when you see the thunderstorm, remember the power of God 
And remember, the storm is going to pass. If you look at the news on TV, they'll show you the fronts moving through. Sometimes it stalls and hangs, but it's moving on. We're sending it east. Right? Which means the sun is going to shine, provided you are trusting the Lord and obeying him. Then's when you have the peace. Now I want to close by talking about that peace for a second. How do you get the peace? The night before he was crucified, the night before he was crucified, The night before he was crucified, Jesus said in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Did you hear what he said? I'm leaving by being crucified tomorrow. But I have peace. And the same peace I have in face of the fact that I'm going to be crucified tomorrow is the same peace I'm going to leave you. Let me ask you a question. If you knew you were going to be crucified tomorrow, would you have any sleep the night before? Would you say there was peace? Well, there can be. I know that sounds crazy. There can be. There can be peace. The same peace he had. As a matter of fact, in 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. The night before his execution, his brother offered to remain with him in prison all night to comfort him. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he intended to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life because he knew the peace of God could he could because of the peace of God he could rest in the strength and everlasting arms of the Lord to give him peace and he went to sleep. It's possible But frankly, you grow into it. It's not this flip the switch kind of thing. It's you learn to trust the Lord for little things. And little by little, you're able to trust the Lord for bigger and bigger things. But it's possible, folks, that you can have the same peace he had. All right. How would you like for me to give you a passage of Scripture that tells you how to get it? You interested? It's on sale for $25. Make your checks payable. (laughs) Well, isn't that what a TV evangelist would say? Make your check out to me. I always wonder, why couldn't I make it out to my church? Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This is an absolute must. You must see this passage. I highly recommend that you memorize this passage. This ought to be as well known to you as John 3.16. You want peace? Here it is. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. All right, stop. What are you worried about? Are you anxious about anything? Uh, Maybe I should say it. Let me paraphrase that. How many things are you worried about? Some minor, some major, but you're worried. Probably. All right. Don't worry about anything. Wow, that's strong. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Did you see that? Don't worry. Commit it to the Lord. And here's what's going to happen. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will grant your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's the formula, folks. Don't worry. But no matter what happens in prayer, 
and supplication with thanksgiving. Perhaps what he's suggesting is you thank the Lord for the storm because it's going to teach you how to have peace in the middle of a storm. Just let your request be made known unto God. Give it to the Lord. Lord, this is beyond me. Lord, I can't solve this, so I'm going to give it to you. We're right back to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be powerful and peaceful in Jesus but to trust and obey. Got it? Got it. All right. So that's the formula. The thunderstorm reminds us of the reality. Paul gives us the path to get there. So the next time you hear a thunderstorm, the next time you see lightning, remember two things. That's an illustration of the power of God. And after the storm, there's the rainbow, which is the peace of God. In his book, The Stewardship of Sorrow, a man named McDaniel said, In the pity palace of Florence, two pictures hang side by side. One is of a stormy sea with its wild billows and fierce lightning flashing across the sky. In the waters, there's a human face wearing an expression of despair the feeble arms struggling in the water. The other picture represents a sea tossed by an equally fierce storm, but as black clouds and lightning flash, in the midst there is in the water a rock against which the waters dash in vain. In the cleft of a rock, a dove is seen sitting on her nest, quiet, and undisturbed in the wild fury of the storm. The author goes on to say, the first picture fitly represents the soul struggling against sorrow, helplessness, despairing, and others. The other picture is of a Christian who is in perfect peace because he rests trustfully in God's unchanging love. Watch the thunderstorm and wait for the rainbow. Father, wow. Thank you for giving us this reminder of who you are, not just what you do, But first of all, that you are the God of all peace and power and that we can trust you for everything that comes into our lives. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God might impress upon our minds and our hearts this truth about being anxious for nothing but just to trust you and let you deal with the storm. Jesus' name, amen.